suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Well, hello and welcome, dear listener. This is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast, a little special episode for you. Normally, this is a podcast where we have a panel and we talk about news and politics and sex and religion, all the things that you're not supposed to talk about. On this occasion, we're going to talk about the Ukraine, and of course, everybody is talking about the Ukraine, so it's, uh, we're allowed to do that. I, of course, am Trevor, aka the Iron Fist, uh, with me as always, Joe, the, t- the tech guy. And also, special guest is Ed. Welcome aboard, Ed. Hi, Trevor. Hi, Joe. Hi, guys. So it's good to have Ed here because I was on a podcast with Cam Riley, and after that, he was getting feedback from different listeners, one of whom was Ed, who was writing some emails. And turns out Ed uh, was born in Russia, lived most of his life, uh, early years, until 25 in the Ukraine slash Russia. He'll explain more about that and has been living in Australia down in Melbourne. So he's got a pretty good perspective of the Russian-Ukrainian border because he lived there um, until about 25. And so he's got family and friends on both sides of the border and he's here in Australia been observing what's been going on over there. And I thought what a good opportunity to have Ed on and just um, tell us stuff that we don't know about the Ukraine, about Russia and all the rest of it. So... So, Ed, without any further ado, why don't you tell us sort of just your personal background of where you grew up, how long for, and just so people get a genuine impression that you actually know a little bit about the area that you grew mm-hmm. up in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, look, I was born uh, I was born in Russia, but uh, pretty close to the border of Ukraine. As I said, I, I, so my, my mom's from, uh, from the place which is pretty close to Kharkiv. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, which is in, in all over the news now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, you know, north, yep. east, uh, from the Russian side. And my dad's uh, my dad's family are from Taganrog, which is uh, sort of uh, pretty close to, uh, okay, what would you have there on the map? So it's it's southeast, uh, mm-hmm. sort of right, Sea of Azov there, North of Crimea, that's you know, that's okay. yeah. so that way. Yep. Both places are, um, are checked within 50 k's or uh, thereabouts, you know, 60 k's uh, off the border. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, we have family on both sides. My immediate family and I, my mom and dad, are, are in Russia now, but I have cousins, second cousins in Ukraine, Kharkiv, and my wife, who's also Russian Ukrainian, you know, probably 50 50. Uh, she's got some family in Kiev now, so we're in touch with them. But mm-hmm. uh, look, uh, and I always lived in, in these two places pretty much, uh, you know, spending summer. When I when I was a kid, I guess I was, I was more uh, up there, my mom's relatives and, uh, you know, like grandma, grandpa. And then uh, I was going to school and, you know, to uni uh, there in South Russia, so again, close to Ukraine. So it was always... 
it was always, uh, you know, during Soviet times, of course, we were thinking uh, in terms of Russia, Ukraine, that much, especially both of these uh, regions, uh, well, fairly Russian speaking, uh, were back then and probably are still now. Uh, it's not to say that, you know, they're ethnically Russians or, or ethnically Ukrainian, because sometimes it's kind of hard to tell. You know, yeah. People are mixing and it's more, you know, your. Uh, so, so when you would cross. Field. If you cross the border from Russia to Ukraine, it was like uh, someone in Queensland going to northern New South Wales and back. Is it just a matter of uh, fact sort of thing that would be yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely right. Uh, yep. Look, we would, uh, we would we would do that all the time because uh, yep. you know during Soviet times that, that's that's kind of uh, yeah, tricky bit, I guess. But uh, when Different regions were supplied differently. So, you know, in Ukraine, there were, I don't know, better dairy. So we would use, you know, we'd go and you know, shop there if uh, you know, it felt like it. Like it could. Yep. So you'd, get dairy the from the, you'd get dairy from the Ukraine and vodka from Russia. So it's, oh, no. yeah, I think, I think just, that's pretty, uh, pretty much available everywhere. Okay. Back then. Until... Until uh, you know the end of Soviet Union or sort of you know, collapse of Soviet Union, where pretty much everything disappeared everywhere, yep. actually, and that was that was a big crisis in, in both countries, actually. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, I could I could see that, and I I know that firsthand because yep. it probably was a bit worse in Ukraine, actually. Uh, yeah. Because you know, economic system collapsed. There. It's a bit earlier than. So, so I'm just curious, like, we'll get on to the present conflict, you know, in, yeah. in due course. But just growing up mm. as a young person in that part of the world, mm. you've lived in Australia now for a good time. Uh, I have a mental image of a, a pretty desperate place with um, nothing in the shops other than the bare basics, if you're lucky, and uh, a fairly grim lifestyle. Not, was it, was not it grim true. or not? No, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. Grim, and especially if you, if you don't if you don't have anything to compare to, uh, yeah. then you know it, it's just your normal, I guess. Yeah. You know, for us, but but look, I was a kid. Uh, you know, Soviet Union collapsed when I was, well, which is what nineteen eighty one. I was uh, born in seventy four, so you know, I was I was in my teens, yes. Uh, until then, you know. Before Perestroika, it was, you know, I was a kid. It was, it was so fun for me. I mean, you know, we would go to mm -hmm. countryside, you know, we would spend time there, you know, fishing. And, you know, it was uh, it, as good as, you know, as your childhood can be, I suppose, because, you know, I was, uh, I was looked after, you know, my, my family was, was great. And we would, again, all relatives, this, this place where, you know, my, my mom grew up was, that was a village, basically. And we had relatives in, in neighboring villages, but also you know, in Ukraine. Uh, everyone would sort of come together uh, for summer, you know, holidays, mm -hmm. and there'd be family there. So, yeah, sit together. Yeah. Yep. And would, you, would your family be just sort of middle class? Would you have considered them? Uh, I don't know if if that uh, you know model is applied to uh, you know to Soviet times. So my my parents right. were. Uh, you know, graduated from the university in Kharkiv, actually, uh, yep. being sort of engineers and being engineer in Soviet Union is uh, is not really uh, you know, is saying that you're not 
well to do. Uh, but, uh, but look, you more comfortable than average. Uh, no, or just average. Average, I would say. You know, okay. this, the Soviet Union was the country of you know working classes. I guess you know that's yeah. that's where a, a, a person on, on a factory probably would earn much more than an engineer. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, right. You know, working all the time. You know, so that was that was really um, a thing. You know, the person then. on the factory floor would earn oh, yeah, more absolutely. than the engineer. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. Because right. they would do all the time. So they could do uh, you know night shifts. They could. Uh, depending on what you were doing, you know. Look, unless you like, it's hard to generalize, but you know that would be that would be a generic uh, assumption. But you know, if you work for some defense factories or something where, yeah, yeah, you probably would find positions. Yeah. And, and you were telling me uh, previously that um, you ended up doing electrical engineering and computers and stuff and you're okay so, so my my you know my university years is is sort of uh, where Soviet Union is collapsing or collapsed or, or whatever so that this is is pre unstable time but again being a student you know, why why would I care yep just well, I guess the time uh, also but yeah I, I studied at my home CC uh, so, you know, I stayed with the family and it was, uh, I was okay because I was supported by my parents. And, uh, so yeah, electrical computer engineering and well, roundabouts, I don't know, there was, there was a moment that I remember, uh, that was, that was actually just after I entered the university that all of a sudden, so this is say 1991, uh, you know, Soviet Union is collapsing and we like the worst because, you know, all these Iron curtains going and Metallica is going to be uh, to my school. And uh, that's where I, you know, something clicked in me. And I thought, you know, that's that's what I, that's why I want to leave. So I started uh, learning English like crazy. Yeah, maybe it doesn't show, but <laughs> with the accent and stuff. But, you know, it's, uh, I set my goal, I guess, back then to, uh, so back then I thought, oh yeah, I'd go and study in the US or somewhere and then, mm. you know, see how it goes. But it turned out uh, differently. But you know, it just ended up in, ended up in Australia. Yeah. Uh, and never looked back actually. Yeah. You know, uh, which is Yep. Uh, and you're living in Melbourne now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and and you mentioned before to me that you were Part of a rally that happened in Melbourne, sort yeah, of. Yeah, I, and, I went and is there. It, are you uh, sort of part of a Ukrainian expat community, or it, it, uh, it's absolutely. Uh, it yeah. was organised by Ukrainian community, and um, and uh, we have a lot of friends from who are members of the community. We, you know, we're not. I can't say I'm a member of the community because you know, I never, I never had you know Ukrainian passport or anything like that. Yeah, but uh, you know, we felt that we needed to go as well. Uh, wanted to go, uh, needed to go. I have to say that I uh, didn't make it to the start of it because I had other commitments. My wife and my daughter uh, pretty much, you know, went there from, from the first minutes and uh, marched from Treasury Gardens to the Fed Square, and I just joined them at Fed Square. Um, so a lot of friends there, and you know, yeah. Um, mm. Yep. So, um, so your family um, and friends back over there in the Ukraine. What what stories are you hearing, or reports are you hearing from them about 
you know, what's happening on the ground there? Is it um, anything you can share with us that? Uh, yeah, uh, look, mm. well, that's that's what I uh, what I'm here for, I guess. Uh, look, f first of all, it's it's a war. Uh, no doubt about it. But look, um, um, it's a big great words, I guess. Uh, just because, and I'm, I'll get there, I guess. You know, from Russian side, from uh, I'd probably say from Russian side and the rest of the world, uh, it appears. Uh, the words are different, the terms are different, and, and you know, people are sort of uh, watching about how they call it, but it is a war, you know. Mm. In Russia, you are not supposed to say war, it's a special operation, and if you are told that people say war, they are being corrected or, or, or worse. And um, it, it's pretty full on, like, look, you, you just can't, uh, Comprehend, you know, I, I I can't comprehend it because, yeah. You know, to me, uh, again, yeah, you know, I, I left that part of the world some time ago. You know, went back a couple of times, but um, still, the picture that I have you know, doesn't doesn't really uh, marry to to what I see now. And what I see now mm. is street street fighting, basically. You know, like mm. Stalingrad. Uh, so. Kiev, I've been to Kiev, I actually fell in love with the city, it's, it's probably one of my favorite cities. Uh, absolutely beautiful and, you know, it's a huge hill and uh, it's 4 million plus, I think, and Kharkiv is 1.5 or something, so big cities. Yeah. And shelling's going on there and you can see, it's, and it's not like, you know, these are doctored images or, because they're just coming through, they keep coming through. So, yeah. you know, street fighting, my, uh, uh, my relatives who are in, in Kharkiv have been living uh, pretty much in a cellar for uh, for the past few days. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, the whole territory of Kharkiv has been, or, you know, street fighting is, is on every street, because it's it's hard to know uh, mm. what's going on. But definitely on outskirts and pictures that I've seen and, and people who recognize them, like the university and Saltovka is... Uh, is the sort of northeast, um, I suppose. Um, I don't know the season that well anymore. Yeah. That was mm. when I went there. But, um, well, I saw images of you know uh, shells you know, exploding. And yeah. mm. are they running out of food? Because I just know here in Australia, when we had things with the pandemic or flooding here in Brisbane, and it yeah. doesn't take long before the shelves are empty. And I just would have thought it's shaping up as a bit of a siege where they're just going to run out of food in these cities. And we are worried. We, yeah. we are here uh, worried about them running out of food, but I haven't, uh, I don't really have uh, a lot of, you know, good information mm. about that. I know yeah. that three or four days ago when, when it just started, but it was not in the city proper, uh, and this is Kharkiv I'm talking about, uh, mm. my... My aunt's, you know, my mom's cousin. Uh, she she said that she went to to the shop and bought you know some supplies, some tasters and uh, you know, some cereals. But I, I don't really know if they have water now. I don't. Mm. I know that it's been sort of encircled. Uh, and Kiev, I think, is from what I heard, is pretty much rounded up now. So. It might be, you know, the case where 
your supplies will start running out. But um, I just don't know. No, sorry. I, yeah. Yeah. I know that that they were safe. Uh, my relatives safe yesterday because they they responded and, and said that they were still fighting, and they they were intended to survive. Uh, quote. Yep. Okay. So let's sort of now move into the sort of build up and the, you know, recent history and and uh, geopolitics or however we want to call it. One thing that I'm curious about is is the Donbass region, where, according to what I've read, is a predominantly Russian speaking enclave that seems to be quite different to the rest of Ukraine. Is is that was that your sense back in the day, or uh... Uh, not really? Uh, look, okay, going back to Soviet times, we didn't even think about those, um, you know, in those terms, or, or you know, you can ask that question uh, later. Look, Don Bass was uh, was different in a way. It's it's a mining region, yeah. So that's uh, you know, there's a lot of you know, mining going there, you, you're passing by, it looks different, yeah, okay, uh, but, you know, is it, so economically it was different, I guess, because, uh, again, mining is the main uh, industry there, yep. so when the trouble started, and, and I am talking about 90s, you know, uh, so this is just after Soviet Union, or end of Soviet Union, probably, uh, okay, I'm, I'm not a historian or, you know, maybe, maybe enthusiast, maybe sort of, you know, failed historian, if you like, or mm. fake historian. So, you know, don't quote me or fact check. I, I don't know exactly, mm. but, you know, 90s. Uh, when the problem started, I think Donbass was hit quite, uh, quite badly with, you know, with all that, because all of a sudden, you know, mining uh, stopped and, and that's all you had to, uh, to provide. So miners were uh, quite unhappy so yep. going to strikes or trying to you know work out uh, something, and I guess I guess unless you have that industry going, uh, no matter what you do, uh, you know this this trouble in the okay, trouble, economic trouble in the region. So you know this uh, this just not enough work, yep. and 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 you know that's quite yep. bad. So uh, so it was defined as much by its its work environment and landscape exactly. as it but, was. By, but if you if you ask him about ethnically or, or you know culturally or anything, not really no. Yeah. Uh, and and look, I have a couple of well, more than a couple of good friends here because I don't know when when people started look immigration into Australia from former Soviet Union was uh, was going like it was a steady stream in nineties and two thousands uh, I suppose because you know it was uh, fairly easy to do I guess if you were educated and uh, you know, wanted really so we have we have quite a few friends here who came uh, or people who say have Jewish background so they came a bit earlier they came a bit earlier because they uh, could do so you know using that Jewish uh, background uh, because there was like Soviet Union yeah there were reasons to live it so we have a lot of people from from that area who came at different times, and I have a fair, uh, I guess, fair understanding of you know what's going on there. And pretty much every one of them, looking at you know what's what happened there, uh, 
you know, shulk and, and aura and uh, you know, emotions are, are pretty high. Yep. And, and so when there was the separatist movement for the Donbass region, have you got any sense of um, of what was going on there in terms of shelling by the by the Ukrainian government as they were trying to retake this okay. area and this dispute? I, have you... I think I have a pretty good sense of what was going on there, but uh, I guess... Probably wouldn't, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is not shelling by Ukrainian government, but it's right. separatists themselves were, uh, and I'm, I'll, I'm trying not to say anything that I can't, you know, prove or anything, but the, yep. the separatists themselves, the, the first, uh, you know, people who came to power there or who instigated that were all uh, Russians, if I'm not mistaken, most of them. So it at the time, look, and, and this is not me sort of, you know, looking back with, you know, 2020 historic vision or something. At the time, 2014, uh, when Yanukovych was uh, fighting to stay, and we together with our Ukrainian friends here were sort of uh, really waiting for him to go because it was, you know, he was quite bad, you know, yep. all accounts. Uh, when, when it happened, we, Especially, you know, we were joy. We said, "Oh, you know, that's that's great." And then when Russia took him, it was a bit of resentment, you know, from our side, thinking like, "This is a signal uh, that you know he's going to go unpunished." And so, so our attitude yeah. at the time was like, "Ooh, you know, that's that's not good because it's 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 almost like Russian encouragement." Okay, so when Yanukovych lost to yeah. Poroshenko. He, he went to Russia and sort of exiled, did he? No, no but of, he, he didn't lose. He oh, was uh, um, he was ousted. And, yes. and I mean, the, this was before election or anything. He was. Yes. Uh, so that was that was a revolution. And right. look, I, I know that, you know, you, you probably want to raise that point or you uh, mentioned that yeah. American but, involvement in that. But I'm not even I'm not even talking about that. I'm just uh, talking about our attitude and, and vision. And, yeah. and look. Uh, when I say, you know, these uh, Donbass and, and Luhansk, like, you know, two sort of separatist regions there, uh, the, the movement, uh, separatist movement there, or the action, started after the Crimea was uh, annexed. Yep. yep. Uh, which, again, you know, probably is a better word for this, but let's leave it there for now. Because yep. um, that was a signal like, oh, you know, if if Crimea can do this, you know, so maybe, maybe that can happen in some other region. So the yeah. guy, uh, at the time, it was, you know, a lot of confusion who's doing what. And, uh, but, you know, a few years passed and, and people, uh, well, a few people who, who were leading uh, forces there died or were killed or whatever in fights. But uh, the guy who started it pretty much, but he's all on admission. Uh, uh, the guy called uh, Yorkin or uh, Strelkov is his name. Yeah. This, this is a guy who started the separatist movement in the Donbass. By his account, his, his interview to the uh, to the newspaper later uh, mm. in Russia, he said that, you know what, I I pulled the trigger because you know I that his his unit crossed the border from Russia to Donetsk uh, uh, region, I guess, and they started uh, you know the action. So, and 
I, I guess I can quote. Yeah. Uh, so there is a translation in. So, uh, the, so he he was a Russian nat national who Russian national Igor yeah. Strelkov. He's he's the guy. Uh, I mean, this is this is what in perspective. He's the guy who's uh, for his arrest there's a warrant. Uh, you know, Interpol for for the flight MH17. Because that's that's the guy who's associated with you know with that. Right. Because he was he was controlling the area then. Okay, so there's a question mark. Are you saying there's sort of a question mark as to how much of this was um, driven by the local population wanting to separate from the rest of Ukraine, as opposed to uh, the Russian influence, maybe being well, more just, important to say, factor to say the local, least. There's, yeah. there's no question mark, or it wasn't question mark for me back then. Probably. Yep. Me uh, now it was instigated by Russia. Yeah. Uh, reasons behind that, you know, not talking about it, but just facts. You know, he he, he did. And look, there's there's probably a lot of factors playing. Like you know, people who weren't necessarily important or who were you know sort of looking for opportunity uh, seized it there. Because uh, let me put it this way: if you in in any country, uh, especially or any region, I guess, especially where things are not stable, that probably would be a decent percentage of the population who want to separate. Yeah, there's always a mixture. It's just hard to know what the percentages yeah. are. Western Australia, let me put this. Yeah, you remember a few years ago, Western Australia said, you know, we want to separate. Yeah? Last week, but, I'd do it. Yeah. Well, he's, he's amazing, that guy. I mean, yeah. yeah, you're right. In every population, there will be a separatist element. Um, um, and yep. if you if you organize it, uh, yep. well, I'm not saying it's a you know it's something that's easy to do or it's something that's you know clear cut. But if you organize it, you, you have a chance to succeed. And and these guys uh, again, they were, were telling it after, like like there was no shame in it. They were telling uh, you know, to press that you know what we were expecting to maybe uh, to see Russia. Incorporating these regions, you know, like they did with Crimea, but Russia didn't uh, do these sort of sending signals or something. So maybe this the world's a uh, bit of misinterpretation whether you know support will come or not. So, right. uh, yeah, okay. Well, that's a that, picture of the Donbass. That's that's you know what I want. By the way, dear listener, I mean Ed's giving, of course, uh, his own personal knowledge yeah. of of things and. Um, he hasn't been running around conducting polls and, you know, in a sense, uh, the plural of anecdote is not data, I think is the story or something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, you know, take all this with um, as it is and um, it's just an interesting perspective that we're getting from somebody who's sort of been in the area and knows people and hmm. there could be other people with different opinions. And, and, and look, the, there yeah. are people of different opinions and yeah. I guarantee that, but it's also like you, you really have to... Uh, Look at that, you need to decide for yourself. Yeah. Because uh well, like you know, we were chatting with Cam and Cam said, Oh, you know, I have, I have people who are different opinions. Well, yeah, there are people who really love Trump, there are people who Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, there's there's all um, sorts. So so just the other um so that's an interesting picture of the Donbass. Um hmm. the other sort of um cultural element is is the sort of talk of of neo-Nazi element in in the 
Ukrainian mm. sort of military, sort of as part of that 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 coup that mm. maybe or maybe not was engineered by the USA, um, relying mm. on some sort of neo-Nazi elements. Is is neo-Nazism something genuine in Ukraine that you or your friends or would be aware of or would would think it's a me or my friends uh if i rely on on my personal experience my friends who mm. are talking to people and, and people i trust really uh then absolutely not i mean i'm sure there are there like in yeah. any uh country uh but do they control the uh, government do they control the parliament no right I, i'd say no i just i just don't see any evidence so you would have seen reports about sort of neo-Nazi elements. And as you were reading it, we, in your mind, are you thinking that's an overblown statement? That, that seems um, an exaggeration when you, okay. when you read that? I, the problem is that most of, the, most of the reports that I was reading at the time or, you know, really need to see the source where it's coming from. Um, a, a lot of that, and, you know, I do, do read uh, Russian. I, I can't read Ukrainian, but... Uh, not that good at it, I guess. Uh, but everything you read in Russian, or a lot of that, is uh, you need to take uh, with a grain of salt because, and that's something I probably would want to, uh, you know, spend a bit of time on. The yeah. Propaganda and and the way uh, things are spin is uh, is kind of important because you know they. Um, this is. Russia and Ukraine uh, are like, you know, Soviet Union, pretty much everyone. We were growing up uh, with, you know, my, uh, both of my grandparents were uh, you know, fighting the Second World War. And uh, so we were, when we were growing up, fascism uh, or Nazism, which was used interchangeably, uh, was, was like the worst thing that you can uh, possibly imagine. Yeah, so yes. we were growing up with this. And and the term has been a little, you know, been abused now a lot, uh, you know. And and so in in Russian um, media, quite often this is it's a convenient way to say, oh, you know, they're fascists because they are, uh, you know, nationalistic, and which is which is not always the same event. But yeah, but look, um, as I said, I don't believe uh, that. You know, right wing, sort of ultra conservative, sort of Nazi element, uh, whatever fascist uh, yep. element is is prevalent or, or noticeable, comparing to Russia, for example. Right. Yeah, because because yep. in Russia you go and and I can name you, and I probably know better. I I can name you politicians who are still there, you know, leading parties, and they would yep. they would make statements that. Yep. Uh, you know, you'd probably put you in jail in 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 some places. Yeah. So it it's it's really it's really uh, hard to you know take it and and just go with it and uh, and say oh you know Nazis are the problem here. I think it's yeah. There's definitely a lot of hate uh, in in general now, especially. Yeah. Uh, but look, uh, as I say. I probably would want to talk a little bit about propaganda. 
Okay. Uh, okay. When, when we get there. Or, or yeah. if we, if we can well, sign we're that. We're, um, we're there now. Let's do it. It's yeah. just because yeah. uh, this is something like you probably you probably don't um, know that well unless you can tap in, unless you, unless you know, uh, unless you can read Russian. Mm. Okay. So um, when... I don't know where to start, but look, the propaganda—the propaganda machine that's 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 working probably in both directions, and and I guess you know it's propaganda, propaganda in, in the U.S. But in Russian, if you if you just you know watch Russian TV, there's just a lot going on there, and, and it's always it's always directed at you know at trying to uh, portray you know specifically Ukrainians uh, as fascists or you know sort of close. And and look, what I've done, I I just um, I sent you a couple of links, but but look, this is for people who we, we can't play them now. But just go to YouTube and and uh, type something like "kids uh, singing about Putin" or, or something like this, because because yeah. it's just it it is penetrating the society in such a way that you know it's hard to imagine. We probably would think about you know North Korea, uh, but you know kids would come and dress you know in uniforms, being I don't know eight year olds or whatever, uh, singing like. Um, Uncle Vova, if you, uh, you know, if you if you call us to the last battle, you know, we will die for you. Right. Okay. Yes. Uh, yes. Just. Yep. It's just. And and this is not like you know some of that may be staged, but I also have yep. some you know like school, uh, you know, concerts and something yep. and people would say, oh, you know, Putin, you're great and stuff. Yeah. Because this is like uh, so this so is Soviet level of you know. Yeah. Um, so Russia has been running a, a Soviet style. Um, propaganda campaign. Return to it. Yeah. Yep. Return now, to it. One of the things, for example, I read ages ago, I think, was in relation to Crimea, when they did polls of the population, and it seemed quite conclusive that most of the people in the Crimea wanted to to be right. in in the Russian sphere. And, well, and an argument I heard was that they had been subjected to a lot of propaganda on their television. All right. Look, you know, this is this is this is actually an interesting point because uh, you know if we talk about Crimea and, and how it, what happened there, and again, this is uh, at the time, you know, wasn't uh, admitted, but then after a couple of years or maybe a bit more, or maybe more, uh, you know, Putin admits because because they were saying uh, there were there were no Russian troops there at the time. Uh, they were just you know polite people, and, and this is a term you know coined term which was on you know shows and some like you know polite people who were um, you know volunteers who came there to whatever fight for uh, for their brothers, and then they admitted yeah yeah there, there were Russian troops, but you know we had to do something. So and and you know then reports that yeah it was planned uh, you know. In, in a way, and works out perfectly because when they stepped in and sort of took control, you know, of the region, and they organized referendum, um, you know, you can't take the results of this referendum uh, for face value, even if it's it's a bit like you know doing a scientific experiment, but but you're uh, you know your your tools are tainted or you know contaminated, and then yeah. the results you can't really trust them. Maybe because of the propaganda, because of or, because, or because of propaganda, of the because of the violence. presence. Oh, because of the presence and the way the way uh, you know elections are, are run, uh, and, and 
you know, that was that was known at the time was was like you know with presence of troops or or sort of uh, you know insist recommendations of vote a certain way plus propaganda as well. Like okay, if so, we have Crimea. People probably would want to uh, you know leave Ukraine and join Russia. I mean, maybe the majority of the population wants to do it, but is there any sort of law how to do it properly? That's the thing, like, you know, it, I, I don't know if there is a precedent where part of the country went straight from one country to another. Uh, yeah. I know of a few cases when part of the country decided to separate and sometimes peacefully, sometimes, yeah. you know, through through some, you know, force or whatever, or, or war. But I don't really remember in the modern history uh, when, you know, something like that would happen. And it happened pretty quickly and, uh, yep. you know, was declared done deal. You know, we, we have it. So uh, does it mean people didn't want to? Oh, they probably, a fair amount of them probably would want to. Right. Uh, but, you know, is it is how many it and, yeah you know, can we take knows. it well, not really and yes. and and look this there's also coming back this is what you know we talked uh, among themselves uh, in 1994 if i'm not mistaken when uh, there was so called uh, budapest memorandum uh, budapest memorandum i think it's called in my book somewhere where basically after the soviet union collapse uh, Russia and Ukraine with US and the UK uh, set together and uh, coined the, uh, you know, the agreement that Russia would take all the stockpile of nuclear weapons from Ukraine and in exchange guaranteeing uh, borders in that uh, borders that were present in that particular moment, 1994, Ukraine was yep. Ukraine and everything. So technically, you know, Russia said, all right, we don't we don't want to revise the borders or raise it because you know that's the agreement and yeah sign. well give us your nuclear weapons and we guarantee to keep your borders where they yeah, are I, I'm, yeah. I'm sure there were maybe some mm. other clauses but that was that was yeah. it and and of course uh the story that i remember because you know it, it, it says oh you know this is uh it's plain and simple you know there's agreement but of course if you really want to you can find a pretext and like like always so i think if i'm not mistaken again don't quote uh, me on this but but i think russia you know official russia said back then that uh you know because yanukovych was ousted uh illegally you know there's a coup and stuff uh it's all broken you know yes not valid anymore so we're not you know we're not obliged to to follow you know any of that and yeah i don't know i i'll I look at this and I say, yeah, you know. The, the Ukraine called, story is full of broken promises of one sort or another with NATO and, and other deals. And, yeah. And we are talking about, you know, me uh, telling you what I think so that, you know, that's what I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, also the coup. Um, amongst Ukrainians that you know, would would there be the belief or acceptance that the US played a major part in that, or would or would they say that was not the case? Like, what's the feeling among? I don't amongst... know. I, don't, I haven't heard a lot of people uh, saying, "Oh, you know, US mm. uh, definitely." You know, from Russian side, this I think 
Mm. You know, people who support official Russian story, they would say, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, yep. it's all America, like, has been America all, all, all this time. But um, I don't really know uh, for sure. I'm not going to argue, but I'm just going to ask, I guess, the question of even if it was, well, I, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just, I, I guess, I guess I want to put it this way. You know, Ukraine uh, was, was trying to break away from Soviet Union and Russia, but has been trying for quite a while. And I mean, yeah. after 1991, it, it appeared that, okay, there was understanding, but we know that, you know, Russia never really let it go. Uh, not only Ukraine, I mean, you know, other republics and other mm. examples. And so there was, you know, there was one attempt. And then you know, 2004, Yushchenko, which was clearly pro-Western, was Trump, you know, was uh, competing with Yanukovych actually uh, mm. for, you know, for presidency. And Yushchenko was poisoned. And then, you know, before the election results were announced, because it looks like, you know, Russian involvement there was, was a bit too much. Uh, which is a fun fact, I guess, you know, Putin called and uh, congratulated Yunukovych a bit too soon. So, right. you know, that sort of thing. Uh, just send the signal, I guess, uh, and again, this is my you know, pedestrian level, I guess, uh, signal to Ukraine that, you know, it's really hard to break away. So is it, is it really uh, strange, I guess, or, or should we really, uh, you know, wonder, if Ukraine, if they really wanted to, you know, would ask help for someone to, you know, to assist me, okay, or, or to have some, or to have some support in that, I don't really know. But it, yeah, so you could see, because you could see or sense some fairly obvious Russian meddling, and so uh, again, it's of no, it was, no surprise. It, was not, it wasn't denied, mm. uh, mm. but it was, it was, it was not a military intervention or anything. Mm. But it was, it was like you know, Russia would send consultants to you know organize yeah. uh, elections and stuff. Yep. There, there was a there was a documentary on BBC, if I'm not mistaken, that was uh, shown in Australia. But that was at the time, I think at the time. Okay. Russia okay. Was, be, be, because you know, you're a you're a fan of the of Cam Riley's various podcasts, so you'd be quite used to his his re repetitive line of US yeah, involvement in countries yeah. around the world. So, so so having listened to that, you'd be highly attuned, I would have thought, uh, for looking look, for US he, involvement. So. It, what what Cam's doing, and I mean, mm, and this is, mm. it's almost like his mission, but he's trying <laughs> to counterbalance, and I mean, you know, among many things. So I, I would argue with Cam, uh, you know, personally or in the email, uh, well, I haven't had a chance to do it personally, maybe next time yeah. Brisbane, because um, now he maybe identifies me, yeah. uh, would listen to me or whatever. Yeah. Um, that his mission is to counterbalance the insane amount of, Yes. I don't yes. know. Do we have kids uh, watching this? I mean, you can go ahead and language warning, dear listener. There might, yeah. might be some... Yeah. Kids, if you if you yeah. listen uh, to yeah. this, then probably want to tell your parents they're letting you down. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, insane amount of bullshit that's going on in the world. I mean, yeah. look, yeah. America is an empire and, and they do uh, a lot of bad stuff. And, and, of course, you know, Russians would say, Oh, you know, Americans do that, so you know, so so can we. So yeah. it's almost like Cam's mission and you know, race, I guess we should yeah. to counterbalance that. Yeah. And 
and yeah, doing and, the job. And, and, you're, and you're fully aware of that and you've seen all the various examples, yet when you look at the coup um, and, and knowing how it's occurred elsewhere mm. quite often, you, don't, you haven't yourself necessarily looked at the coup with conviction of US involvement. Is but, that what you're saying? You know, it like a, may or may US, not. But US involvement versus Russian involvement. I mean, you know, yeah, both of them. Yeah, so but I mean, do we do we need to choose, or do we? Yeah. If we had to choose, but, um, no. Know. But just it's really just whether we think it's occurred is, is I, the question. Look, I, I don't really know. I, I mean, I yeah, I okay. don't have enough evidence. I, I'm yep. not going to speculate. I yeah. Okay. Yeah, it could could have been. Okay. Uh, could have been, but also I didn't have a sense, like from, again, from my friends, from people here, Yanukovych was genuinely uh, bad. And I mean, had it been someone else, you know, a bit less corrupt, a bit less, you know, in your face corrupt yep. and, and you know, arrogant and, and really, you know, sort of coming across as uh, uneducated, really rough, you know, not fit. Uh, it would have been a different argument, but I know a lot of people were genuinely okay. trying to get rid of him. Okay, so maybe because people hated him so much, they didn't really care how it was done. Just exactly. get it done. Exactly. So uh, okay. you know, that's yeah. that's that's a point that we can't ignore. I mean, this is yeah. this is really uh, you know important point. And it's a bit um, like with Trump, where people would you know would have wanted some awful endings for him no matter what just because of who he was. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, yeah, okay, I get that. So, um, and then uh, Zelensky is uh, the current president who, um, former a comedian and television star and now um, hugely popular, it seems, both within Ukraine mm. and around the world because mm. uh, he's not running and hiding, he's... Or if he is, he's got a, a really good um, PR team that's painting a different picture. So he uh, he he, he no. seems to be genuinely doing the right thing at this yeah. t critical yeah. time. And, 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 and look, uh, this is this might be his uh, you know he, his mission, and he he might yeah. turn out to be the the uh, true you know hero. Yeah, uh, so of, of the story. Because leading up to this, you thought he was maybe. a bit of a dud. Is that? Yeah, sort of, yeah, I'd say so, and, mm. and it's only because you know he's not a uh, he's not a politician. He's mm. uh, basically a comedian, I guess. Uh, not saying he's a bad person or something, but you yes. know, uh, I, I think the impression was certainly for me that he's uh, he would be an easy opponent for uh, you know for Russia for Putin to go and you know, just go over and do right. whatever they want. And uh, but then, look, he is genuinely uh, leading the resistance now by all accounts, and and people are surprised, uh, but people love him. I, I like him. I mean, he is uh, he's risking also, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yes, I mean, if he's captured or whatever, who knows what could happen to him? So it's precarious for him for but sure. He's, He's what you expect from president. He's, uh, you know, it's a bit like what, you know, Belgium when Germans attacked and yep. stayed and got the resistance in uh, again. He's certainly got an incredible life story. Actually, for those who hadn't seen it, um, I think I've got it here. Have you seen the, 
the other thing, dear listener, is he won the Ukrainian version of Dancing with the Stars. Mm. Have you have you seen that at all, Ed? Uh, no, I haven't. No, I, okay. I, I heard about it, but no, I haven't. With a bit of luck, I'll just play a little bit of clip here if I can. Hopefully, this will show up. Hang on, it's an incredible life that, that guy's running. From mm. he's a lawyer as well, so um, lawyer well, and I, comedian. I just and, didn't know enough. Yeah. I didn't know enough about him, and I uh, mm. so like. Look, to be honest, uh, and yeah, we will return to war because it's important. I, I feel like, you know, we probably don't give enough, uh, you know, focus or, you know, it doesn't come across, you know, in all seriousness of, you know, what's going on. I'm, I'm distressed. I'm, I'm, it's just mm-hmm. like sort of uh, now I've got to be distracted and, you know, got to be cheerful, I guess. But but it's not to say that, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty bad. But uh, i I say until recent times, we'd probably be more watching the um, what was happening in Russia itself, you know, inside with, uh, you know, opposition being uh, basically, uh, you know, repressed and, and all of these. Mm-hmm. And even now, you know, the uh, opposition yeah. leaders isn't yet, well, opposition leader, a person who's uh, closest to opposition leader, I guess, uh, would be, you know, he's in jail and there's another process yeah. so i wasn't i wasn't even thinking that much about zelensky because we were all uh you know seeing how putin yep do things uh, internally and uh but then of course no one expected you know things to change so quickly and now we're talking about escalation and possibly nuclear war and yeah. uh you know facebook being uh, suspended in russia with a mixed success, uh, you know, they don't report on uh, casualties. Uh, they don't call it a war. Uh, they allegedly uh, going to introduce uh, capital punishment, or at least, you know, that's what Medvedev said in, you know, maybe not officially, but, you know, said that we should bring it back. Uh, they, capital punishment for what? For treason, for right. you know, for, for stuff, just because Russia okay. you know, doesn't yep. have it now. So, right. but but even still, like you know, uh, treason now is mm. twenty years uh, jail, I think. And, and mm. yep. treason I, doesn't doesn't uh, you don't need to do much to. Yep. Uh, Ed, I just want to move on to NATO and yeah. the discussion about. Um, about NATO, which seems for a lot of people to be a key component to this whole story. And I'm going to read a bit, dear listener, from an article by a guy called Chris Hedges. And Chris Hedges, um, American journalist, um, Presbyterian minister, author, television host, former reporter for the New York Times. Um, In his career, he worked as a freelance war correspondent in Central America and he began working for the New York Times in 1990, and during his 15-year tenure, Hedges reported from more than 50 countries and served as the Times Middle East Bureau Chief and Balkan Bureau Chief um, during the wars in the former Yugoslavia. He's currently running a TV show on, on Russia Today, or RT, so hmm. put, all, put all that together, because I mentioned to Joe I was going to read um, about this guy, and he said, well, he'll, that conflict there, I mean poking a bit the fact that he has a show on Russia today. But 
when you add in his career with the New York Times, it's an interesting mix for a guy. So mm. I think he's got some experience and I've read other stuff that he's done and I, I do think he's got something to add here. So mm. bear with me, uh, dear listener, while I read this article or a fair chunk of it, it's probably going to take me about four or five minutes, and then Ed and I can talk about about that because it seems to get to the crux of of one reason why the conflict has started and maybe if there is to be an exit out of this, um, one possible way out. So, all right, so his um, article entitled Chronicle of a War Foretold by Chris Hedges. After the fall of the Soviet Union, there was near universal understanding among political leaders that NATO expansion would be a foolish provocation against Russia. I was in Eastern Europe in 1989 reporting on the revolutions that overthrew the ossified communist dictatorships that led to the collapse of the Soviet Union. It was a time of hope. NATO, with the breakup of the Soviet Empire, became obsolete. President Mikhail Gorbachev reached out to Washington and Europe to build a new security pact that would include Russia. Secretary of State Jim Baker in the Reagan administration, along with the West German Foreign Minister Hans Dietrich Genscher, assured the Soviet leader that if Germany was unified, NATO would not be extended beyond the new borders. The commitment was not to expand NATO, uh, sorry, the commitment not to expand NATO, also made by Great Britain and France, appeared to herald a new global order. There was a near universal understanding among diplomats and political leaders at the time that any attempt to expand NATO was foolish, an unwarranted provocation against Russia that would obliterate the ties and bonds that happily emerged at the end of the Cold War. How naive we were. The war industry did not intend to shrink its power or its profits. It set out almost immediately to recruit the former communist bloc countries in the European Union and NATO. Countries that joined NATO, which now include Poland, Hungary, the Czech Republic, Bulgaria, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, Slovakia, Slovenia, Albania, Croatia, Montenegro and North Macedonia were forced to reconfigure their militaries, often through hefty loans, to become compatible with NATO military hardware. The expansion of NATO swiftly became a multi-billion dollar bonanza for the corporations that had profited from the Cold War. Poland, for example, just agreed to spend $6 billion on M1 Abrams tanks and other US military equipment. If Russia would not acquiesce to again being the enemy, then Russia would be pressured into becoming the enemy. And here we are. The consequences of pushing NATO up to the borders with Russia, there is now a NATO missile base in Poland, 100 miles from the Russian border, were well known to policymakers, yet they did it anyway. It made no geopolitical sense, but it made commercial sense. War, after all, is a business. In a classified diplomatic cable obtained and released by WikiLeaks, dated 1st of February 2008, written from Moscow, I think this is the Moscow embassy, US embassy, addressed to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, NATO European Union Cooperative, National Security Council, Russia, Moscow, Political Collective, Secretary of Defence and Secretary of State. There was an unequivocal understanding that expanding NATO risked an eventual conflict with Russia, especially over Ukraine. The beauty of these things, dear listeners, is you can Google it and you can find it. I'll send you the link in the show notes. But um, you can actually find the WikiLeaks document, the actual cable that this refers to. And um, 
Chris Hedges summarises what that cable said. Um, Not only does Russia perceive encirclement by NATO and efforts to undermine Russia's influence in the region, but it also fears unpredictable and uncontrolled consequences which would seriously affect Russian security interests, the cable reads. Quote, experts tell us that Russia is particularly worried that the strong divisions in Ukraine over NATO membership, with much of the ethnic Russian community against membership, could lead to a major split involving violence or, at worst, civil war, in that eventually Russia would have to decide whether to intervene, a decision Russia does not want to have to face. Dmitry Trenin, Deputy Director of the Carnegie Moscow Centre, expressed concern that Ukraine was, in the long term, the most potentially destabilising factor in US-Russian relations, given the level of emotion um, and neuralgia triggered by its quest for NATO membership. Because membership remained divisive in Ukrainian domestic politics, it created an opening for Russian intervention. Trenin expressed concern that elements within the Russian establishment would be encouraged to meddle, stimulating US overt encouragement of opposing political forces and leaving the US and Russia in a classic confrontational posture. Well, that's proved to be um, Mm -hmm. uh, very close to the mark, really. Um, the Obama administration, not wanting to further inflame tensions with Russia, blocked arms sales to Kiev, but this act of prudence was abandoned by the Trump and Biden administrations. Weapons from the US and Great Britain are pouring into Ukraine, part of the $1.5 billion in promised military aid. Um, uh, let me see what else he says here. All of us who reported from Eastern Europe in 1989 knew the consequences of provoking Russia and yet few have raised their voices to halt the madness. Um, One little bit here. Once NATO expanded into Eastern Europe, the Clinton administration promised Moscow that NATO combat troops would not be stationed in Eastern Europe, Uh, the defining issue of the 1997 um, agreement. That promise, again, turned out to be a lie. Um, He says, uh, Chris Hedges uh, then in 2014, the US backed a coup against the Ukrainian President uh, Yanukovych, who sought to build an economic alliance with Russia rather than the European Union. Um, of course, once integrated into the European Union, as seen in the rest of Eastern Europe, the next step is integration into NATO. Russia, spooked by the coup, alarmed at the overtures by the EU and NATO, then annexed Crimea, um, and the death spiral that leads us to the conflict currently underway in the Ukraine became unstoppable. So, Ed, what do you think of that in terms of NATO encircling, coming right up to the border of Russia? Mm. How does that sit with you and your friends? Yeah, analysing all this uh, article and and really development is... is, uh, it's not an easy task, and I mean, you know, for hmm. someone who isn't really, uh, you know, majoring in geopolitics and stuff. Look, uh, hmm. from my perspective and from what I remember, I don't know always what's happening on the background, but uh, look, if history doesn't start in 2008, obviously, and, and yeah, um, so it just says, you know, 1988 already was obvious, but it wasn't obvious to me. Um, 
you know, NATO and Russia were cooperating. I think when the war on terror started, it was genuine impression that, you know, it was, it was a cooperation. So it didn't feel like it was, uh, you know, escalating and, and uh, unavoidable and that, you know, Russia would all, it didn't feel, written plain words, that Russia and the US NATO would, are, you know, historic friends, traditional, sorry, historic enemies, you know, traditional enemies, and it will continue and will continue forever. Uh, I didn't feel that. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was foolish. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But again, I'm looking at the countries who, you know, joined NATO, uh, different stages, you know, three waves or whatever. Um, coming out of Soviet Union and, uh, you know, being in the well, relationship with Russia, uh, you know, I guess Baltic states would probably uh, do it first then for good reason, because they probably didn't feel secure. Um, and, you know, that was, if you are a relatively small country uh, next to a neighbor who is at best of times unpredictable, you know, NATO is probably the assurance. And it's, you know, I can understand uh, why it might happen. So I guess the question is whether these small countries did want to, okay, uh, no disrespect to England, sorry. Um, but if, if former republics or former countries of, uh, you know, Soviet bloc wanted to get away from uh, Russia as soon as possible and join NATO, and uh, look, if if you remember 2008 and uh, Russia stepping in to Georgia, uh, and you know what followed, because that was another war. That's yep. So, 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 would send a message like, you know, what if you if you're not in NATO now, uh, or you're thinking about it, you know, yeah. maybe that's time to join. That's you know, not, yeah, like yes. Macedonia probably would say, you know what. You know, Yep. So from the point of view of, of self-interest of those countries, it makes sense that they would say, we want to be part of NATO ASAP. But, and but then what, from the what, point of sort of world stability, it also same, makes sense yeah. to say, you know what, we really should yeah. have a buffer zone between NATO and, Look, and Russia. And analysts, you know, on both sides uh, and, you know, negotiation and everything should... Uh, that's that's what that's what they're for. Yes, and and really, there has to be. Um, there's a bit of hypocrisy here, where um, you know the US, if if it was encircled uh, up to its borders, the, um, the way that Russia has been, there's no way it would accept it. Like it's not sort of fanciful to say, oh, okay. Russia's being. Russia is being um, precious here in in having a problem with NATO right on its border. I mean, what's their problem? There's yeah, but having, historical... having a problem with NATO and, and going and hitting another country. Yeah, 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 of it, course. In, inexcusable. Uh, Not, so, um, so that doesn't mean the solution is to go to war. But I'm just sort of um, – I'm just wanting to point out that um, – what they're doing, NATO, in in 
in growing right up to the border of the Russian, the Russian border, mm. they know that they, for example, the US would never accept that happening if there was, it was flipped around the other way. So, um, so they, of course, would say, well, we're entitled to um, do this, but there has to be a recognition that if it happened the other way around, they wouldn't accept it. I mean, we've got the Cuban Missile Crisis, we had Granada. I mean, it's... It's it's fine. It's, it's fine to... Uh, look, uh, there is a point in this, and it's fine to mm. sit and argue about it, mm. but also in the light of what happened mm. right now, I feel like it's, mm. you know, maybe it's almost like a moot point. You know, Russia mm. reacted the way it reacted, and, mm. and, and look... <sighs> Maybe push it, you know, taken into another direction, I guess, slowly. Yeah. But uh, I've been you know, thinking, and, and I think I read somewhere, or you know, mm. sort of everyone's analyst now, yeah. And, and mm. we have all these, yeah. uh, you know, accounts that, oh, you know, Putin trying to understand, trying to guess, you know, what, what Putin is thinking, what's his objective. And, and I guess, you know, in the past few years, we're pretty safe to say that he he doesn't he doesn't want to lose. You know, the, mm. Um, he obviously wants to stay in power. I think that's probably one of the uh, mm. main objectives. And and there was some massive trouble. Like if if he didn't have troubles in you know internally and wasn't threatened, who knows uh, what he would have done or his reaction. Mm. I think a lot of that is is happening because you know because of what's happening internally because he's really uh, you, you think well. You think internally he's been under pressure? Oh, I'm sure. Right. Look, he, uh, amounts of discontent, and yeah, there's a lot of people. You know, a lot of people who like, like him, but the corruption and everything that's going on, and economy is bad. I mean, you know, it's. Mm. Uh, but but he also has, and, and again, not taking it lightly, or, or it's, mm. uh, or, or <laughs> trying to pick my words here carefully, but. He's almost, uh, you know, has this sort of messianic vision for himself, you know, saving Russia and mm. restoring, I don't know, Russian Empire, Soviet Union, or, or just, you know, the great Russian world. And uh, and let's look at the end result. I mean, right now, what's the way out for him? Or is it is it likely that his objectives are going to be achieved? And I mean, frankly, you know, no one did more for expansion of NATO in the recent years than uh, than Russia themselves, mm. you know, Putin, because sending the message and sort of escalating it probably accelerates that process. And and now, look, can you imagine now Ukraine ever? Uh, turning around and saying, oh, you know, we'll reconsider maybe, you know, be good friends with Russia or partners or whatever. Mm. Uh, I can't, I can't see it. Can you, can you see a way out for, you know, for Putin to be accepted as, uh, you know, as equal in, uh, in any G20, G9 or G8 or whatever, G7? Mm. Uh, I, I can't, I just can't see it. Mm. Like, like he, reputation for himself, for the country, as a as a player, is is damaged beyond repair. So mm. whatever whatever happened in the past that was leading to this point 
decisions were made and I'd say, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm, I'm not liking what I see. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's why, you know, sometimes things are, you know, it's a bit, it's very seldom when things are black and white. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's usually a degree of gray. But, you know, today, for the past you know, three or four days, it's probably as close to black and white as it gets uh, hmm. in some respect. You know, hmm. it's just we don't need to question, uh, you know, who's... We, we don't need to question not, but, whether it's a war and whether it's, yeah. it's um, morally reprehensible or not to, <clears throat> to do it. Of course it is. So um, it's, but it's, it's, it's also bit, it's also so, though worth it's also worth knowing the build up of these yeah, things but, and questioning whether saying, whether there might have been a different outcome if different things had happened differently in the past. To yeah. me personally, now it's you know the subject is a bit raw to you mm. know to talk about it calmly if you like. Mm. It's a bit like uh, you know I read uh, yeah because in a sense, it feels like it's sort of being an apologist for Putin to suggest yeah. that this almost, NATO thing is almost a, like that. It's, yes, it's a bit. You know, I'll put it in this way: it's just uh, you know, mm. stuff that I read. I say uh, you go to the cemetery, which is a fresh cemetery, and and this is sadness, and you know, because because this is just yeah, you you can you can feel grief and uh, you know, sorrow, but you go to the cemetery, which is four hundred years old. And this is history, and you can reflect on things and maybe you know look at it mm. in a completely different perspective. So uh, I'm sure we are talking about uh, well, even Napoleon now, and we balance you know uh, so goods and bads, and there's a lot of good stuff. And look, me being Russian, you know, we, we were growing up with Napoleon being bad, but you know, it's not yeah. it's not true strictly speaking. There's a lot of propaganda there, uh, and of course, you know, we're talking about Julius Caesar and you know, it's yes. completely different, but yes. you know, it, but we can't really uh, reflect on you know, increasing now and, and uh, try to find silver lining. Uh, it, I, I feel you know, to yes. me personally, yes. that's that's really really hard to do. Yes, and, and yes. So all I can say now, and and this is you know, he's yep. a criminal now. He's he is yeah. a genuine criminal, you know, war criminal, and I I don't see any way out for him. Uh, yes, it it might be the thing that. that brings about a peace at some point. Though, is if there is some statement that Ukraine won't join NATO or something as a, a face saving thing as a reason. Well, to, I guess uh, I guess the first, and, first have to mm. you know stop shelling and and maybe yes. peace and talk because again the uh, the peace talks that were announced and uh, wasn't yesterday or today. I don't understand anymore. It's like you know it's been. Kind of hard yeah. to keep track of time. Uh, they sent from Russian side the guy who went there looked like wasn't authorized to do anything. Uh, you know, even before we started, it was yeah. a signal like you know. Yeah, so, not, they're not serious about peace talks when they're shelling the, right the, now when I, they're accelerating with their bombings and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I so, think yeah, think uh, the and and look this up. Talks about you know, whether he's mad or, or you know deranged or whatever. Yeah. Different Excellent. degrees, different degrees Let, of you know madness. I guess. Yeah, yeah, let's let's talk about this uh, madness and derangement sort of allegation and crazy because he gave a speech which yeah. was which was quite lengthy. I think went for yeah. over an hour or so. Yeah. And on the podcast with um, 
with Ray and Cam, we were talking about it, and because yeah. we we were reading the trend. Well, I I was we were reading the translation, and mm-hmm. um, and really we from reading it thought, what what is this allegation that he's crazy and unhinged? Because it actually comes across as a relatively sane and rational rundown of mm-hmm. modern Russian history and. It actually was sort of quite impressive in the sense that we couldn't imagine Boris Johnson or Joe Biden mm-hmm. or Scott Morrison speaking uh, not in their that style, way for 60 minutes. Yeah, um, it's, it's not their style and, and maybe yeah. it's uh, Putin's style. But, but yeah. look, and, I, and, I and said, you have a different take on that. So just look, explain. I, I said yeah. straight away, and, and there was, mm. you know, the, that's what started it all. I sent an yeah. email saying, uh, uh, yeah, it does look a bit deranged. But, but look, it's... Uh, then I then I said that you know what uh, if if you just look at uh, this and well the speech was was really an exercise in a sort of justification of uh, the next move it looks like um, yes so it's you know you look at it and say no he, he didn't you know he didn't jump and uh, you know on the table and uh, whatever yells he though conveys. The spoken it's word to a, to a Russian. It's not a disgust, but it's it's really superiority and 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 sort of with a smirk, you know, talking about uh, you know all things Ukrainian. Uh, so there is a clear message that you know of, of him. Um, what what you're trying to say, I think, is there was a, a something was lost in translation. Uh, yeah, in that, definitely, definitely, there's something lost in translation. For a native also, Russian speaker, you could detect, uh, um, yes. but also a different I tone have a that we couldn't. I also have a background of his other speeches, and and he's pretty much his style, you know, to, with a yeah. with a smile or with a smirk. So there are different different degrees of madness, I guess, and, yeah. and you know, I almost could feel like uh, you know he was he was one of the, was a person who, you know, with a smile tells you that you know, he's going to kill you or something like that. Right. Uh, yes. And 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 the thing is that I don't I don't really know if it's his like people say, oh, you know, he's he's mentally deranged or or you know he lost the power. Um, I don't really know. It can and, and it can be uh, or it can be that he is surrounded by people who you know yes men and and whatever. Uh, don't tell him or tell him what he wants to hear and so that you know he's sure of his messianic uh you know nature i, I don't really know or maybe something else but it's yeah i, I, I remember I certainly... colonel Gaddafi uh, yeah. being sure that everyone loves him and he is uh, the greatest yes. guy in the world and that Romanian dictator was on the porch and surprised when the crowd was booing him. Um, yeah, Ceausescu or Ceausescu. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, thank you. So, look, when I was reading it, I got a little bit of a sense of um, that. I think he sees himself. You know, he's getting on now. I think he's sixty-nine or something, and he was very resentful of the breakup of. The Soviet Union, mm. and example is, is the right word, absolutely. Yeah, and really, it was um, his job in history was to at least um, get some of it back. Was really mm. the sort of what I read, and I think, 
I think he definitely has a sort of a sense of his place in history in terms of, of, and it's while it might seem a crazy, and it might be doomed to failure for him personally. I think he's just prepared to roll the dice because he's reached that point. So yeah, there would be an element of of almost a crazy level of nationalistic pride and mm. desire there. Yeah, I which is important. And 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 look, this is uh, you know ideology as well, and people would like to hear that because it, it just gives them a sense of uh, pride. Mm. But it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, really, you don't have to be uh, a well-respected, powerful and great nation uh, just for fear. And, you know, measure of it is not how, how many uh, you know, other nations fear you, but mm. it can be something else. Japan yeah. now is not threatening a lot of countries or in the past, you know, decades, but it was, it was doing very well economically and, you know, it's hard to argue they set a goal to be, I don't know, best in uh, in the world in some sense and achieved it. Yes. I'm just an example. I'm, I mean, it yes. is really sad that, you know, it, it's understood, greatness is understood in, in that way. And uh, I guess a lot of people probably comfortable yeah. with this. Is, is he particularly well-educated or? Does his voice come across as a working class accent, or um, is it come across uh, as a bogan? Is that what you yeah. described his accent as? A- uh, well, this, I don't think accent is, uh, you know, in Russian. No, I wouldn't say uh, would have accent as such, but you know the mm. the, uh, the vocabulary, and, and sometimes he's is just uh, using the language. So look, everyone's. Of you know everyone from that generation is you know university educated probably, but no. it doesn't tell uh, you know it doesn't say that he's not okay. Put it this way, he's not a sophisticated uh, you know person. For for example, when you listen to Donald Trump, you recognise that he's mm-hmm. not a sophisticated person mm-hmm. either. Yeah, same. So same. yeah, same with Putin. You know. Uh, yeah. Okay. And 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 the funny thing is that a lot of people around him, even you know, for a fact, you know, being so very well educated and um, mm. maybe you know, having some degree of sophistication, have to go to the level because that's expected of you. So. Yeah. Hey Ed, we'll wrap it up a little bit. So. Yeah. Uh, Anything that you wanted to say to, that you think people need to know that we haven't covered already that you um, wish the average Aussie knew about I th- I the think, situation? I think I already, already said pretty much, you mm. know, all, all uh, that I wanted, you know, points. I probably wanted to stop on the term fascism and, and just maybe uh, a bit of food for thought because, you know, it's been thrown around a lot. Mm. And, um, and the most... I think in recent times, uh, everyone goes back to uh, an article by Umberto Eco, uh, and an Italian guy, you know, uh, Name of the Rose fame, if you uh, remember the movie. But he was an Italian uh, writer who uh, was growing up, you know, during Mussolini times. So he, he wrote an article, he wrote a, uh, an, an article, an essay called Fascism in 1995, where he really distilled it in 14 points, uh, you know, what 
fascist mates. And mm-hmm. and some point, and if you if you just you know talking about you know, Ukraine or Russia, and, uh, and if you look at this point, and I invite everyone, Echo is E C O, Umberto, probably the Italian name, probably just as you, uh, I, I can send it onto it yep. if you if you haven't heard. Um, there is, you know, these are fourteen points, and some of them just read them and think about them and and try to apply, and you know. Things like disagree, disagreement is treason, you know, that characterizes the fashion. Or, uh, you know, rejection of modernism, or cult of tradition, or, you know, obsession with the plot, like mm-hmm. everyone's plotting against you, yep. or contempt for, for the weak. Uh, you know, everyone's educated to be a hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, think about these kids who, you know, growing up to be, oh, okay, yeah, there's, mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's a link there in the chat. Uh, so that's food for thought. Just read it. Uh, you know, read this principle, think about them, and, and try to apply and, and see if it, uh, you know, what what comes out of it. And, and and what you're saying is you think that Putin is a fascist. I'm not saying and, look, and, look, Putin is you know is Putin. Okay. Yeah. But when when the word's being thrown around, and, and I'm not even talking about individuals, just yeah. you know. The general, you know, sort of idea in the society, mm. you know, what's good or what we want, or, or yeah. uh, you know, things. As I say, the term is being thrown around. So if we go by mm. this definition, yeah, because uh, because Russians are very offended by you know some some things that other people do, and they call them, you know, they're fascists and um, okay, sort of like a it's, like it's- a. You know, insult that probably is you know mother of all insults, and because uh, this yeah. is you know going back to, um, to Hitler times, and and this genuine you know feel that uh, you know Russia defeated fascism, Nazism, uh, you know at the time, kind of forgetting that well you know Russia was one party or the coalition and Soviet Union definitely was, you know, one thing there. So Ukraine was taking part in it and took uh, a lot of casualties and uh, yeah, so, so you can't say that, you know, Russia defeated fashion and Ukraine. So because the term is used a lot, just yeah. just think about it. And, yeah. and overused maybe. And, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Okay. And just um, so you must hop on your computer hourly and you're getting messages from friends and family and it's just yeah, all-encompassing sort of um, thing where you're just inundated with news and keeping up with things and mm. probably just thinking about it 24-7, I guess. It'd be hard not to. Yeah, I'll probably go and have some rum to, you know, to help me sleep now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So, so, well, Ed, I really appreciate um, you taking the time out to do this. It's been uh, it's an interesting insight, yeah. Yeah, so, hope it helps. Um, and uh, look, I can't uh, thank you enough to, uh, you know, for giving me yep. time and you know uh, opportunity to say what I wanted to say. Yeah. And, so, um, so good on you, Ed. And um, and well, fingers crossed uh, that at some point it stops sooner rather than later. And some resolution yeah. is found, but it's hard to imagine what that will be at this stage. I, I was convinced, not convinced, but I just assumed he would just take the Donbass region and he was just <laughs> going to shell these other areas 
to keep them occupied while he's short up that, but it doesn't seem to be that he's going to be satisfied with that. And it just doesn't seem... After some point, mm. it all became uh, irrational you know, mm. to me and, and, and impossible to... Incomprehensible. So, yeah. uh, and, you know, we're in shock, really. Yeah, really yeah. from shock. Uh, and I have, I have a friend uh, who, you know, she has two kids uh, and her eldest son is 19 or, or 20. And he went to Ukraine because uh, he wanted to go to Europe and, you know, sort of, and he's there in Kiev now. So she's she's texting him all the time, but mm. I mean, I, I can't imagine. Like, look, so so my heart goes to Ukraine. And, um, it, it is unimaginable, but also because I know people personally who suffer, and you know, and, and my family are there. Mm. Uh, even you know, family on the Russian side are panicking too. Yes, uh, and it's not like yeah. They are, and, and it pains me to say, like, when I say, you know, Russia is an uh, is aggressor here, uh, or, you know, it, I don't have, you know, I'm not saying it, I don't, I don't like what, uh, what I'm saying, I, I'm not enjoying it, I, I don't take pleasure in this. Yeah. I don't feel Russian uh, anymore, I guess. Not because of this, like long time ago. It's just you know, I want. I left for other reasons. I guess I you know wanted just to you know change country. So it's not. It's not because of that. It it's just you know people I know. I speak the language right, so I have a mm. bit of culture inside, and I still. I don't know. I can't. I can't talk about yeah. it really. Uh, as as an impatient uh, you know observer, sorry. Yeah, there's so, sort of a despair that your home country, if you absolutely. like, is is doing this, um, and has a leader who has dragged them into this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, oh, Ed, that's there's too much tragedy in the world. I just know. Um, yeah, um, up here in Queensland, we've got our floods, and that I've got four customers who have had their shops flooded. You know, most of them without insurance and. Yeah, it's tough times out there for a lot of people um, um, and they're probably luckier than people holed up in a basement in um, in uh, in the Ukraine while its shells are falling around them. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, there's, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you, if you think times are tough, there's always somebody worse off than you and a lot of them are in the Ukraine at the moment. So Yeah, well, and, and, you know, I read somewhere like, oh, imagine a few months ago we were only worried about, uh, you know, uh, COVID. Pant yeah mm. pandemic you know it's just pandemic yes yeah. when you when you i guess you know when you look at the newspapers and what, what we have there oh you know plague and war and it's like middle ages yeah. isn't it yes it is yeah really yeah interesting fair. times mm. all right Ed. In, in chinese definition of interesting yes Inter yeah yeah much appreciated ed thanks for your time thank you dear listeners in the chat room Hope you enjoyed that one a bit different. We'll be back with something else next week. Not sure what, but um, bye for now. Thanks, Ed. Cheers.